Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Ready and Able 5783. I'm Ita Khatretsky, and today with us we have Rabbi Shusterman. Welcome, Rabbi Shusterman. I would like to start off with the background. What made you come to ask this question of why bad things happen to good people, and what made you look for the answer? Well, why bad things happen to good people is actually a Pasuk and Tillam. In capital Chaf Beis, Kaili Kaili Lama. David Amalek asked that question, and uh, um, so the question is in the public sphere by David Amalek asking it. We also have, I'll mention another few names that you know. Avram Avinu, last week, Sedra challenged Hashem, Chalilulacha, Abishter, how can you do something that is inappropriate for you? Moshe Rabbeinu in Shmois said to Hashem, Lama Hariyasa, why are you doing bad to this nation? If you've learned Yirmiya and Yeshaya, especially Yirmiya, you'll find many, many places where Yirmiya challenges Hashem, why do the why do the rich, why do the wicked prosper and why do the righteous suffer? And certainly, I don't know if you've ever learned Eev. Eev is a hard Tanakh to learn, but Eev is a whole story about a righteous man who suffered. So even if you discuss the idea, idea just academically in the abstract, uh, we know that bad things happen to good people. And if Hashem runs the world, the question is, why? To personalize it, many years ago, over three decades ago, I was happily married, was 38 years old, I had a wife, I had 11 children, and one sunny Sunday spring uh, morning, 10 days before Pesach, my wife passed away. I don't have to bore you or intrigue you with the details of how quickly it happened from the moment she was not feeling well to the moment that sadly the doctor looked me in the eyes and said, we did everything that we can, but she didn't make it. And right then there from uh, my whole entire world turned over and I realized life as I had known it up until that moment has changed forever. As a Yid, I, I knew that the Abishta runs the world. And my wife, you know, about me, you can say, I know myself, I know my flaws, but my wife was a good person. I'm not going to say she was a tzadikus, but she was a very good person. She was, as, as the expression goes, as good as many and better than most. She worked hard. She gave birth to 11 children, was raised well. She, ran the, she went to the Hebrew Academy every day and taught a class from 9 to 12. She was one of the mikvah ladies in the mikvah that we built in Long Beach, California. Uh, she was a shlucha. She was a, a real devoted shlucha. And uh, within a period of less than two hours, from the time she was experiencing distress until the time she passed away, it was our time, me and my children, to ask why did the why did such a bad thing happen to her? And she was a good person by extension to us also. And that that spurred me on. Well, we had a parent, 
running the Hebrew Academy, there were a few hundred families. They weren't, at that point, most of the families were not observant. Uh, they wanted to have a decent Jewish education. They wanted to have a quality secular education. That's what brought them into the school. And my wife was a warm and friendly uh, person. And many of the parents, you know, my wife taught for, as she started teaching in 1971. This was in 1986. So she's been teaching for 15 years. And many of their children had been through her class and therefore they had gotten to know her. They were deeply troubled. You know, uh, why would the Rebbitson, one of a few, why would she suddenly pass away? And, uh, and the, the, they also knew some of our children, 11 kids, ages 16 months to 14 years old, pretty compact. The young two were twins. Um, so they were bothered by it. Um, and I, in the two months later, I gave it for seven weeks, I gave a class once a week to explain, to discuss why bad things happen to good people. I can share with the people that I recently published a book. It's not called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. That name is already taken by a conservative rabbi by the name of Rabbi Harold Kushner, who's an older man today. He also had a tragedy in his family. One of his sons was born with a rare illness, and he knew early on that his son is not going to live very long. He lived till the age of 14, and he and his wife suffered with their son for those 14 years, and uh, he wrote a book, which was a bestseller called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Unfortunately, the book doesn't is not founded on Yiddishkeit as we know it, because he said, God may be the creator, but he doesn't, he doesn't control evil, and bad things happen because bad things happen, and the Ebershter is not the entire boss of what goes on in the world, which didn't work for me and didn't work for anybody who knows anything about how Yiddishkeit looks at Hashem. Hashem is all-powerful, and there's no force. Enoid Milvadi, there's nothing outside of Hashem, so that won't work. So we have to find a different approach from Torah, from Midrashim, from Hasidus, from Jewish philosophers. And that's what I taught in 1986. And that's what's in the book that I wrote. The book that I wrote, the name of it is Why God Why? In, in Hebrew, it's Keli, Keli Lama. That's what's in Tillam. This is Lama, Keli Lama. It doesn't work exactly in Hebrew as well as it does in English. How did this experience affect your belief in Hashem? And how did you come to terms with or not get crushed by this event and keep believing through all of it? A person doesn't have to be crushed by bad things. A person just has to face reality and say, this is a new setting here, and we got to figure out how to keep moving forward. Fortunately for me, I have a strong enough character, and I had 11 children that were dependent on me. I also ran a school with almost 400 students that were dependent on me, that I couldn't just uh, fold up into a heap and say, uh, I'm off for the next few months. 
but the, 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 the real question is how to come to terms in my relationship with Hashem, who I believe in, I believed in before that morning, and I believed in him after that morning, and I still believe that Hashem is in charge. The question is, might be Hashem's goodness is not particularly expressed in an event like this. And how do we relate to Hashem's goodness and how do we believe in Hashem when something as tragic as this happened? So let me say up front that that question, how did Hashem allow or how did Hashem uh, make such a tragedy happen is not a very strong question. Why is it not a very strong question? Because Hashem is not a person that we are able to understand. Hashem is the creator. We are creatures that Hashem created. And when you just put those two concepts together, Hashem the creator of heaven and earth, Hashem the creator of time and space and matter and intellect and emotion and every value that you know and that I know, they didn't exist until Hashem created them. And then he created little people and gave them little teaspoonfuls of, of, of all these qualities. And then we would say, this little creature wants to understand what Hashem is doing. So the question itself is not a legitimate question. We ask the question because Abishta created people with a mind and, and we want to understand what's going on with us, what's going on around us. And if we don't understand, we're sort of left at loose ends, even if the question doesn't really have an adequate answer was a couple that lost a Ben Yachid, their only child, was 19 years old. This is a couple from, from London, and he was in, it's before your times, you won't remember, Pan Am Flight 273, I think, and maybe I have the wrong number. That The plane that he was on, uh, there was a bomb planted on the plane, and it exploded over Lockerbie, um, Scotland or Ireland, wherever Lockerbie is, and he and all the 273 passengers aboard were killed. It was a tragedy for every single relative of every one of the passengers on the plane. But for this particular couple, it was their only child. They weren't going to have more children, and their life was invested in their child. And they were devastated, and they went, they were from people. And they went to Eretz Yisrael, and they spent two months going around all the Rosh Hashivas and all the Gedolim and all the Tzadikim and all the Mekubalim and asked the question, why did this happen to our son? Why did this happen to us? Uh, they can probably write a book on the various answers that they got. But I also know they came to 770, and by dollars, they spoke to the Rebbe, and I saw the video 
and it's available on, on Gem someplace. And the Rebbe said something very interesting. The Rebbe said, after what we, Claudius Earl, have been through, the Rebbe was referring to the Holocaust, where six million Jews died uh, and died in an extremely cruel fashion, we no longer can ask that question. And we have to do what we can for the, for the benefit of the Neshama. Our history, Jewish history, is full of tragedies. Uh, Holocaust is the greatest. There have been pogroms and expulsions. And there is no adequate answer that would rationalize it. I'll go a step further. If I or you or the Rebbe were able to articulate a rational answer, that would mean that it is perfectly all right what happened. And if you understand why it happened, it doesn't bother you so much. Think for a moment, you were walking in a corridor of a hospital and there were a few people standing near a certain room and in the room you heard a woman screaming and yelling and crying and you figured out that these were that person's relatives and you went over to them and said, why are you just sitting here and, and talking nonsense? Don't you hear what's going on in the room? And they looked at the questioner and said, well, this is the maternity ward. She's at the end of labor. In a few minutes, she's going to have a baby. This is a happy event. Having a baby is a happy event, but even explaining an event makes it tolerable, makes it acceptable. And it is quite possible, not only that the Abishter doesn't have to explain himself, but if we would understand them, we would accept it. And the Abishter does not want us to accept evil in the world. Even in some way, it comes from Hashem. He wants us to fix evil and to remove pain and to take away poverty. That's our mission. So when something bad happens, as human beings and as Jews, our question is not really why, but our question should be, what does the Abishter want from us? One more little anecdote, which is an actual anecdote that happened in our family. Uh, years later, a few years later, I was visiting a son of mine who's a Chabad Shliach in a different state. And this was 10 years ago, maybe, maybe more. And his cousin, his first cousin, who was also a Shliach, was going through cancer treatment and he was losing. And you don't talk about it out loud at that point, but the understanding was in not too distant time, he will no longer be on earth. And my son was close to his first cousin. And when I was visiting with him, he said, Let, let's go out. I want to talk. And he was talking about why is this? He is young. He's in his mid-30s. He has a wife. He has four children. I think it's four then. And why is David? And he was going on and on and on. And I'm listening. And I started formulating in my mind, 
answers. When he finished, before I can uh, give him an answer, I said to myself, why am I going to answer him? He's a shliach, he's a rabbi, he's learned, he has dealt with this question before, what am I going to tell him that he doesn't already know? So I looked him in the eyes and I said, do you want an answer or do you want a hug? First, he looked at me as if I'm nuts. Then he realized I meant it seriously. And he thought into it for a few seconds and his eyes filled with tears. And he quietly said, I want a hug. And I gave him a hug like I've never hugged him before. The conversation was over. We say we want answers. Answers would not help. If there were an answer, the answer would not help. And maybe it would make things worse because it would detract us from helping people because we would have answers for all sorts of things. What people mean when they say, why did this happen? They are really saying, it hurts so much. How do I get the pain to go away? And a hug from a father to a son does that better than some answer. And that's true for everybody. Answers, you know, little questions and little problems get, there are a lot of answers on a different level. But when something is tragic and something is really incomprehensible, then the answer needs to be an emotional support rather than a philosophical answer. Okay. Right. So that being said, how did this affect your belief in the long term? Would you have had a different depth of belief had such a tragedy not occurred? So I'll tell you the truth. Number one, as soon as the doctor told me that my wife had passed away, my first thought, my first realization was that life as I knew it, to the extent that one can plan, can plan one's life, whatever plans I had up until that moment, they were suddenly shattered. My, but my second thought right after that was, now is my opportunity to put everything that I believe in and everything that I've learned and everything that I've spoken to others when they have been through illness and tragedies, now I have to apply it to myself. Am I up for it? I asked myself the question. It's one thing to preach to others. It's entirely different when you have to apply that lesson to oneself. Uh, and that was my challenge. And I never lost faith in Hashem uh, to be candid. Uh, but now the question is, can I filter it down into my daily living and really live with that emuna that even though what I'm going through is very, very difficult, it is from Hashem, it is for a purpose. What the purpose is, I don't know, perhaps we'll never know. And now, 30 plus years later, I still don't know what the purpose was. I just know that it came from Hashem and therefore 
in some way it was purposeful in Hashem's mind or in Hashem's plan. But yes, it challenged me, as I said, am I up to it? I, it challenged me to dig deeper into my emuna and betochen and make it more real in my life. Uh, otherwise, I could have coasted. You know, when things are going good, you don't have put you don't have to put an effort in to keep things going. When things hit a blockage, that's when you gotta really bear down and say, "How do I keep moving when there's a blockage in your way?" Well, I had to keep moving and learn the meaning of emuna and betachen on a deeper way and learn the meaning that Hashem is in charge, uh, even when we don't understand him. And we have to learn to appreciate not only the good God who gives us things and gives us life and gives us health, but even the transcendent Hashem that is beyond our understanding, that we have to respect him, appreciate him, bend our heads and submit to what he does, even if we don't understand and appreciate it. I'll add two more little anecdotes. I had a nephew by the name of Benny Wolf. He was a schleich in Hanover, Germany for eight years. Him and his wife Sterni worked. They were two, the dynamic duo. They worked hard day and night and built up a community over eight years. Uh, they, they had people who became from, but it was in Hanover, Germany, was not, it was not a very Jewish place. There were a lot of Jews there. A lot of Russian Jews were living there who had no background whatsoever, and they built it up beautifully. And then it was probably two years ago, Pesach, or three years ago, he got ill before Pesach, and he was in the hospital for three weeks, then he passed away. And it was devastating for his immediate family. Uh, he was known. A lot of people said a lot of tone for him. and were disappointed that it didn't help. But his wife, Sterni, eight children they have, uh, she said, I'm not leaving my shlichas. I will keep it going. And she did, and she is still doing so. Yeah. She was interviewed by Mishpacha magazine. And the interviewer asked her, tell me, do you have any questions? And she said, questions? Yes, I have many questions, but I don't have any doubts. And another story, something like that, Rabbi Kusiel Halberstam was the Kloisenberger Rebbe. He was the one who lived through the Holocaust with his wife and 11 children. And his wife and 11 children uh, were gassed in Auschwitz. He survived. He started life again. He went to Eretz He built up a new community. He remarried. He had more children. But somebody once asked him, Rabbi, he was the Kloisenberger Rebbe, a very chashev, a chashev Rebbe. And they asked him, do you have any questions? And he looked at the person and said, yes, I have questions. And I asked Abishter, 
Rabbi Shalom, I have questions for you. Why did this happen? The Rabbi Shalom said, come, come up, come here to me. Come up to me in Shemayim. I'll sit down with you and I'll explain it to you and you'll understand it. And Rabbi Halberstam said, you know, on the other hand, I'd rather stay down here with the questions than get up there and get the answers. But that was his cute way and wise way of saying, we're not going to get answers while we are still down here on earth. Maybe when we come above, maybe when Mashiach comes, but we have to submit that not everything can we have answers to. Our duty is keep moving forward. Okay. So while we continue moving forward, it's not always possible to progress in a steady slope. How did you recenter yourself when you felt your belief slipping? Number one, I don't know exactly if I felt my belief slipping. I will add some thoughts to that. Number one, we're Lubavitchers, not Breslover, but Lubavitch and Breslover are friends. And there's a lot of teachings that are, that we can learn from. Rabbi Nachman said, we have to start new every day and sometimes many times a day. It's not if you wake up in the morning and things are going and then you have some crisis in the middle of the day, you say, well, now this day is ruined. No, this is an event that stops you. Now start again. Number one, we have Lubavitchers, some of the medicines or the support systems that we use really work. A good mashpia, somebody at every stage, there is somebody older and wiser than you that has more knowledge of life from a from perspective that you can talk your heart out to. And that is a great support, a good Ferengen. And I'm not only talking about a Ferengen from the Rebbe, but I'm talking a Ferengen of Hasidim and Mashpiyim. A good Ferengen can uplift a person. Learning Shara Betochen, which the Rebbe promoted many times to people, and it's now available in English with a good translation by Rabbi Shays Taub, translation and commentaries. See, emuna and betachen is a, a, it's not something that is you either have it or you don't. The neshama has emuna and betachen in Hashem, but it's our duty to nurture it. Ure'e emuna, emuna has to be nurtured. You have to support it. You support it through learning. You support it. Through doing mitzvahs, you, you support it through Fabrengans. We also have Hasidus. We're Hasidim. It doesn't mean just to learn Chitas and just to say Tanya, it means to learn it. And frankly, Tanya, some of us say Chitas every day and we say the Tanya every day. And there are people who had no background in Yiddishkeit. One particular person who's very Hashiv. I don't want to mention his name. He wrote books. He was introduced to the English Tanya, and he found such wisdom for life, for his life, that he became from. And the rabbi who ran the Chabad house in which he found that Tanya eventually took him as his son-in-law. So it worked. Everything that we learn in Hasidus is not just... It's not an abstract, it, it, it may be abstract, 
but it can be tied down to something concrete. It's our job, it's our duty and, and our opportunity. If you go to a bookstore, you go to a library, there's a section called self-help. Tanya could be put into many different sections, Hasidus, Kabbalah, philosophy, and it can also very well be classified on the shelf of self-help. There's a lot of very personal self-help, practical for the 21st century man and woman, uh, Bacher and, and, and young woman. So that, that's how we keep trucking. That's how we keep moving. So, so those are really cool ways to keep ourselves in check and help ourselves when we're, our belief is slipping. Um, but what advice do you have for other people uh, dealing with others in pain? And what helped you the most in your time of me? How do you help others? Well, first of all, you have to be a role model. Uh, if your Amuna and Betachen is strong, you can fortify somebody else's Amuna and Betachen. I will also say, this is an American cliche, but it, it works. Be ready so you don't have to get ready. That's good for, we live in California where there are earthquakes. They say, get your earthquake kit ready. So if the big one hits, you'll be prepared. If an earthquake comes and you're not prepared, not much you can do about it then. When a person has a tragedy, that's not a great time to start trying to figure things out. You still have to help that person, but for, for that person and for yourself and for everyone, it's important to be ready. You have to have a perspective of where Hashem fits in to your life uh, before there's a tragedy, so that when a tragedy happens, it shouldn't happen, but if a tragedy happens, you have a relationship to Hashem. The Pasuk in Mishlei, at all times, love a friend and a brother will appear in a time of tzara because your friend will now develop a much more intimate and personal relationship with you uh, because of the friendship that you've had prior to that. The Gemara says that in, in Mishlei, which where the Pasuk is from, the Reya, the friend, is Hashem. Hashem is the friend of every Jew. Probably Hashem is the, a friend of every human being, but particularly to the Jew. And if you have an ongoing relationship with Hashem, that you can relate to Him. When you dive into Hashem, you're not just saying the words in the Siddur, and when you get over with it, you, you don't even remember what you said. Uh, but davening is supposed to be an experience, an experience of relating to Hashem. Each person at his own level, each person in his own way. And but that is that relationship is such that when when you say now, when you, everything is fine. When you learn the words, Hashem is with the person suffering in his time of tzara, you have to be able to internalize it that Hashem is not an abstract force that we talk about, 
but Hashem is a living presence in your life. Hashem is involved. You say, you say Baruch Hashem, you're speaking to Hashem. When you say Abrachi, you're talking to Hashem. When you say Hamapil at night before you go to sleep, you pay attention to the words. I am returning my soul to you, Hashem, and I want you to return your Mainashamah to me in the morning. In the morning, when you say Moida'ani, Moida'ani Lefanacha, you're talking to Hashem. Uh, there's one of these, my encounter with the Rebbe pages that come out every, every Friday. Somebody once asked, through the Rebison, somebody asked the Rebbe, he asked the Rebison, what is the Rebbe's favorite tefillah? Interesting question. I don't know if I would ask that question, but this guy asked that question. She said she doesn't know. She'll find out. And next time she saw, this was a, a bacher, uh, not a Lubavitcher bacher, but he was the delivery boy who delivered from Kingston Avenue to the Rebison. And she came back and said, the Rebbe said his favorite bracha is what we each say in the morning. I don't know how many words there are in, in the, not even, it's not a bracha, it's a statement. But the Rebbe, that was the Rebbe's favorite tefillah, in a sense, higher than Onasana Teikif or, or Ni'ila. Every day, thank you, Hashem, for returning my soul to me. You know, Birch HaSashachar, you say him half asleep, Asher Yatsar. Asher Yatsar is a bracha for, health, for the health of the body, and it talks about the body in detail. Uh, young people don't worry about the body. Everything is going to work fine. Uh, but appreciating the miracle of the body is said every morning and the bracha right after that. You've given us an ashama. It's pure. You gave it to me. You entrust me with it. These are things that are not meant to be uh, just read and not paid attention to. Again, I'm not saying that yeah, that the brachas in the morning should take you a half an hour, uh, but if you pay attention to it, by the time 10 days are over, it'll be fluent in your mind and in your heart, and you'll be able to relate to it. We need to have an ongoing, actual relationship to Hashem when things are good. And then, chas v'sholem v'chas v'sholem, you have a tzara, the word, you can talk to Hashem and say, Hashem, I need your support. I need to find a solution. Even if I don't have a solution, I need to know that you're with me. Imoy means Imoy, I am with the person. Hashem is with us. So this is how you deal with these things. But you need to give support to a friend by sharing with them optimism and hope. And for yourself and for them also, an ongoing relationship with Hashem gives you such strength that can help you overcome literally every sorrow in your life. So as you have mentioned many times uh, before, the concepts of how to deal with pain can be found in Torah and Chassidus. Where do you find the proper balance between learning and professional help? Because both are necessary. For example, you had said that learning the Tanya would help in many different ways, um, but also professional help such as therapists, psychologists are also necessary. And where do you find the proper balance between both and not too much of one or the other? Well, even Tanya, 
which is wonderful. And today there are many very good uh, translations of Tanya, quite a number of different ones. Uh, but in the introduction to Tanya, Alter Rebbe himself says that you should discuss the issues that the Alter Rebbe is teaching in Tanya with the elders in the community. I don't mean you have to find an 80-year-old man to talk things out, but a mashpia, a man, a woman, a rav, a rabbitson, a wise person. We all know in our circles who is the wise one who knows the way of the world and knows of the way of Yiddishkeit and can help bridge the two. A teacher in school, not every teacher, maybe many teachers, maybe few teachers, I don't know your teachers, but there are such people in every community, the Rebbe said, precisely for this, the application and how to apply uh, uh, any wisdom to life often requires the help of, of somebody older and wiser than you are to help articulate how what it says in the book applies to you. I, I'll be honest, I am a fan of therapy uh, when needed. Uh, when my wife passed away, I didn't feel normal. It was such a tragic, dr dramatic and tragic change in my life. And I did have mashpiyam and I did speak to them, but I needed more terminology that will, that will fit my particular psyche and my particular character. And I purposely looked for a therapist who lost a spouse and was raising children, because that's where I was at that time. I didn't want to find any therapist. I needed someone who I can relate to as being in the same, in the same situation that I was in then. And I lived in Long Beach, California. The therapist lived in West LA. In those days, it only took half an hour to drive there. So every second week, I drove to LA in the middle of the day. I, I was a busy man. I had a big school to take care of and a big family to take care of. But I drove into LA, half an hour there, spent an hour with the therapist and came back. And this went on for six, seven, eight months until I got a perspective. So therapy, when needed, is good. And if you have a wise mashpia, uh, you can ask the mashpia, I, I think I need to see a therapist. And you have from therapists in Crown Heights who can tell you, who will tell you, I will meet you as a therapist, but you need to have a mashpia too. It's it's not one or the other. The balance, oh, therapy costs a lot of money. That sort of helps balance it that you don't do it, you don't get addicted to therapy. But um, the person himself, you know, uh, there's a Yiddish expression. Don't ask the doctor, ask the patient. The patient themselves uh, should be able to figure out the, the proper balance. I can certainly can't give a, a, a rule of thumb of how to balance a mashpia and tanya and, and therapy. So many times people tend to push their trauma aside and focus on the positive. In what ways can this be good? And what did you find helpful? And when does this step over the line of being in denial? That's a very important question. 
Um, there's a din in Shulchan Aruch about Pesach. How did Pesach get in here? There's a din in Shulchan Aruch on Pesach, and that's from the Gemara. At the Seder, we eat uh, matzah and mortar. If one swallows matzah without tasting it, your yoytzer, the mitzvah of achilas matzah. If one swallows moror and doesn't feel the bitterness of the moror, lo yotza, he has not fulfilled the mitzvah, and he got to eat moror again, and chew it, and cough a little bit, and sneeze a little bit, and their eyes will be tearing, and then your yoytzer. When, when a person has a crisis, when a person has tzoros, when a person has a tragedy, that's moror. And bola morer lo yotzav, you swallow morer, you're not yotzav. Because morer, the, the tragedy and the pain and the trauma affects the totality of the person, his mind, his heart, his psyche, his body, and they all overlap one into another. If a person, even sometimes from people, well-meaning, just trust in Hashem and everything will be good. And don't worry about these things. That is a flaw and that can cause serious harm to the person. Because if a person had a tragedy, there's a void, there's an emptiness, there's a hole inside that person. And that hole is not just an emptiness, it's, I'm sure that. You girls are sophisticated, know the term, uh, the black hole in astronomy. The black hole is has deep, a strong gravitational pull that it sucks in everything in its neighborhood, including light, and that's why it's a black hole. This void, this uh, emptiness in the person that happens after a tragedy can consume the person, and by avoiding it, and by avoiding facing it, by avoiding dealing with it, it can suck him in and do a lot of damage to the mental and spiritual health of the person. It needs to be addressed, should be addressed. And a person changes after tragedy. He can train, he can, you know, chas v'shalom, a person breaks a leg. And you say, oh, it's okay, I can limp around. If, if you go to a doctor and they splint it correctly, or if it needs surgery to put the bones back together, and sometimes they have to put in a screw and pieces of metal, very, very painful and very unpleasant. But then when you heal, your leg is strong again, and you can walk like a mensch. If you try to self-treat it and say, I'm going to ignore it, yeah, the leg might heal, uh, and you might be limping and off balance for the rest of your life. Uh, and the damage to the psyche by not dealing with it is as, in, as big and maybe even bigger than the damage to the leg that isn't treated properly. Back to the idea of how the chassidus can help someone. What are some practical examples of where and how chassidus can help the person? Practical examples. Okay. 
I'll give you two practical examples. In Tanya, from Perik Chavov to Perik Lamed Beis, Yalta Rebbe has essays spread out over those chapters and how to deal with sadness and how to deal with depression. And he lists, he actually lists their sadness that comes from material matters, physical matters, health, finances, how to deal with that. And then there are sadness that comes from inadequate spiritual, a person feels I am not sensitive enough, I am not religious enough, uh, my Yesahara is overpowering me, uh, and it gets the person down. And the Alter Rebbe goes through each of these things step by step over, over eight, nine pages, maybe 10 pages in the Tanya. And that's real practical. We all have to deal with it in one form or another. As not every sadness leads to depression, but sometimes sadness can lead to depression. Uh, but we all experience sadness and blue moods. And if we know it says in Tanya, that will help us. Uh, another one is how when, when there's a challenge of chesed and gevura, when there's a challenge of if you're supposed to, how, how do you blend chesed and gevura? There's a reason to be strict and there's a reason to be kind. How do you figure out and integrate them and implement them? And the Alter Rebbe gives a lot of, talks about it and says, you need to have Rachmanis. Rachmanis merges Chesed and Gevura so that they can both um, function in harmony. Chesed, Shiva Gevura, Gevura, Shiva Chesed. The first one was much more practical, this, but this one, um, it, it also, uh, I've used this many times in my personal life in, in matters, uh, not only relating to Avedis Hashem, but dealing with people, and it works. Right, so we can go on for a long time, but for our final question, we want to know what guidance can you give to us to help stabilize a person in such an unstable time? Well, first of all, stay away from instability. <laughs> there's, there's a, uh, you know, the last few years have been really, I won't use the term, Instable, I will use the term chaotic. Uh, and somebody asked, uh, I think it was the Bubba Rebbe, Rebbe, what do I do? I read the papers and I, the world is going crazy. And the Rebbe said, don't read the papers. It may sound superficial, but that was a profound piece of advice. Reading the papers, you can't control what's going on in the papers. And if it gets you down, get away from those things that get you down. Put yourself in a positive environment. You have friends. You know friends. Some people are uh, crazy makers, and some people exude uh, support and positivity. Find, identify with, and hang out with positive circles rather than negative circles. Say goodbye to certain things and say hello to new things. On a practical level, <laughs> eat properly, exercise, stick to a schedule, and you'll have stability. Do that consistently. 
that will add a lot of stability to your life. The last things were not the most profound spiritual things. They were very practical. And I can tell you from uh, being a little bit older than you, these are critical, basic things that work and work well. Thank you so much, Rabbi Shusterman, for taking your time to share with us so much. I'm sure it really wasn't easy. Um, we really appreciate it, and I'm certain that everyone really gained a lot from tonight. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of Ready and Able. Join us next week again at 9 p.m. for more.